Welcome to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, also known as the URM Jam, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. We'll address the real and perceived barriers faced by historically underrepresented in medicine students and residents when considering a career in academic family medicine, and provide practical tips and personal advice on topics like leadership, scholarly activity, CVs, mentorship, and more. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I'm Dr. Tochi Iroku Maliz, and this is URN Jam. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Jam. I'm Dr. Omari Hodge. And I am Dr. Tochi Iroku Maliz. Uh, welcome back. And today, our guest is Dr. Viviana Martinez Bianchi. She's a family doctor, fellow of the American Academy of Family Physicians, associate professor, and the director for the health equity at Duke University's Department of Family Medicine and Community Health. Now, she was the program director of the Duke Family Medicine Residency Program until June of 2020. She is executive member at large at the World Organization of Family Doctors, WANCA, and WANCA liaison to the World Health Organization and chair of the Organizational Equity Committee. And she has a lot more accolades, which I won't go into, but in 2020, Dr. Viviana was featured in a mini documentary video by Univision highlighting her work in the pandemic. So welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, uh, Dr. Tochi Rakumalis and Dr. Omari Hodge. It's such a pleasure to be here with you in this dialogue. I'm just excited about our conversation. We're thankful to have you and the honor is all ours. So let's, let's jump right in, shall we? One of the things that um, is on my mind, and I'm sure Dr. Tochi as well, that we think you'd be really uh, well suited to answer is, how do you, with all your experience uh, as a program director and the uh, multiple titles you carry right now, how do you identify certain individuals who may have skills or giftings that would lend themselves well to the field of academic medicine? I think there is a bit of an art on this, right? Is looking at who our students like. You know, we often have students that are working with our residents, looking at, especially if I'm working with residents, I start seeing there's some that have that talent for, for guiding the students that are better than our own faculty. They're, they're mm. paying attention to the, to the talents of the students. They're able to position them in a way that they're going to learn a lot through a rotation. When they are students, I see them very interested. They are they're interested in um, they, they start asking questions about academic careers. They start mm-hmm. uh, and, and often if, if if you think about underrepresented minority students, which I rather call historically marginalized from medicine, right? Mm-hmm. Historically excluded from medicine. We we often talk about URMs and we should be talking about HEMs, mm-hmm. historically excluded from medicine. I I see those students, they start coming in asking for questions. You can see that they, in their mind, there is an interest in clinical issues and passion for that, but they also have an interest in research and they also have an interest in in teaching. So I I think it's opening the door to those conversations, having an open door to to say, okay, and what, how do you envision your career? What would you like to do? Look at my career, how, because of academia, how it's been changing with the ebbs and flows of the needs of our community and how much you can actually do um, by, by seeing yourself in situations like this. 
So I've, I've got a question, uh, Dr. Viviana. You say that you, you see that they're interested in it, et cetera, but then you know that sometimes with the, you call them historically, say that again, that term? Historically excluded from medicine, you know. Historically of, excluded from medicine. I am taking notes now. Historically <laughs> excluded. <laughs> That's a new I, one for me as well. As you're joking, right? I'm, I'm actually writing this down um, on my on my sticky notes. It's excluded from medicine. So okay. So the ex historically excluded from medicine, or what we cur currently call underrepresented in medicine. How do you how did how do you even know to pull them in? Because sometimes based on their environments that, you know, they're already, you say, excluded, so they already feel excluded. Sometimes they're, you, they may have that um, feeling that even if they're excited about it, they're afraid to show it. So how, how, how are you able to, you know, pull it out from those reticent ones, those who are more introverted, who have maybe been knocked about so much, you know, as they're trying to get to this point where they're finally a student, how do you, but, you know, try and, and, and dust off that feeling or the, the lack of uh, uh, energy to even show that they're interested in it, you know? So how do you get, because they're basically sometimes just struggling to survive in the clinical world. Right. And now we're, tell, we're saying, okay, academic world is also open to you. And then remember, they're, they're usually not seeing themselves out there in with the faculty, with the leaders, et cetera, except for like the three of us who are, you know, similar to us right now. But, you know, so how, how do you pull out those introverts, those people that are a little bit shyer, that are, uh, you know, stage shy, gun shy, I should say, about, you know, showing their interest in academic medicine? What, what, are, the, how, what are the ways you yeah. are trying to pull them out well, or you've seen others do? Well, the first thing is to make sure that we have an environment that is that it's inviting those who have been historically excluded to feel included, right? And that environment has to mirror the type of diversity that you strive for. But, but you have a moment to start. So if, if everybody in a department, if, if we start with a department that is not diverse, that doesn't already have black or Latino mm -hmm. or other underrepresented minorities in the faculty, you can't ask somebody to have the task of being that person. And, and you can be the one starting. No, you have to say, we would love to hire you because of your ability to teach, you're interested, you're interested in teaching. We, we, we're, I'm, I'm interested in you. I'm interested in mentoring you. And I will be there to support you in this role, right? I, I see often, you know, there's a conversation about the tax that occurs on minority students, right? And on historically excluded yes. Um, yes. students in medicine, mm -hmm. they, they, Finally, you know, a few make it in, they may be 5% of their class or 10% of their class. And then they're, they're being put in all of these situations where they end up being overtasked and they can't uh, do enough of their academic work because they're being asked to be at every commission and committee. Which My, can't do the, that. The right? minority tax that we, that minority, we hear about. Exactly. Yes, yes, yes. So, so awesome. I think it's partially is making sure that we have an environment, first of all, that, that tries to represent the community that we are serving and our faculty is diverse. But if you're starting now, it's making sure that you're not tax, taxing those students with a lot of this extra work, that you are actually giving the student the environment where they can feel comfortable, confident, that they can actually be successful. 
um, that they are not the token Latina or the token Black student. You know, you can't tokenize. You you are an active participant, and you also mentor them and say, "Hey, you you were concerned about that. I, I saw, for example, you might be in a room and and you notice a certain discomfort." Find right. out what is the discomfort. What did you witness? I mean, one one of the things that we have encountered in our in our work with diversity and inclusion at the School of Medicine at Duke is that you have to create places where students can safely share what they witness. And our Department of Family Medicine and Community Health may be the safest the safest environment because you know we are kind of the the, the social justice activist in our school and. And the, but they may be coming to us sometimes having witnessed. Maybe it wasn't about them, but it was that secondary pain on 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 watching patients being mistreated in some ways. And so you have to guide them to first of all have a voice that is able to share the the pain or the things they have witnessed in a safe environment, in a place where this is what the academic environment that we want to create. If you have passion about this data, and you have to show me the data to support it, right? Like creating this idea that they are right to be concerned about the issues that they're witnessing, they're right to be concerned with the important, you know, they, they have walked the walk of certain communities, they have experienced ethnicism, racism, homophobia, etc. And to validate that, and at the same time, to let, let's look at the data. Yep, this is supporting what you're saying, right? So, and, and again, I think uh, Dr. Touch and Dr. Maria kind of went off the tangent from no, your no, question. No, 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 that's, that's, that's totally fine. I, I, I love the safe, the safe, that safe zone. I love it. It's um, because it, that is actually important because if people know that they have a place where they can actually be themselves and express their true fears or concerns or their hopes and aspirations without being looked down upon, I think that's awesome. Uh, the, you mentioned, and I was going, I didn't want to interrupt you because I said we actually, at my uh, site at uh, Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell, we also have um, a safe zone. At, at the Division of um, Equity and Inclusion. So there's a, there's actually an office, one of the faculty, she has created a space where she has food, snacks, drinks, whatever, coffee, tea, and she leaves her door unlocked. And she says, the, the, those, those students, they can feel free, that's their space. They can go there and do whatever they need to do and talk about it. And then she uses that once they built their family, then she can now say, okay, let me introduce you to some things that you may have not noticed or known that there's, these are some opportunities available to you. And so that, so you saying this is, is great. I, I just love that you have created that safe space as well. So please, I mean, Dr. Amari, I don't know if you have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, something that when you were, when you guys were talking, the thing that I kept feeling or kept gleaning as you guys were both speaking on the subject was the, the ability to have people come in the room and know that they're really seen. And I understand, I think you guys understand what I'm getting at. It's like, you know, yes, um, yes. when I was in my, when I, I went to Morehouse for medical school, and one of the things that I always brag on the institution for is bringing people in and allowing them to be able to be seen in a room without having to feel like um, this imposter syndrome is something that you need to embrace. Um, because many of us don't come from the traditional picket fence background on our path to academic medicine. And so you might find yourself as a medical student, I'm speaking from my personal experience. You, I, I remember as a medical student thinking, I love to teach, 
and I love to uh, be in this academic environment, but I, I didn't have the highest scores. I wasn't the first in everything academically. So in my naive understanding of academic medicine, I had come to the conclusion that if I'm not the best in every, in every single aspect of my medical um, career, then what am I doing looking at a career in academic medicine? But as I hear you guys speaking and Dr. Viviana exploring this, it really creates an environment where people can say, hey, I have these insecurities, but is this enough to stop me from pursuing my goals? And then you allow a form of mentorship to where you can kind of build me up and help me to understand what academic medicine really looks like. So this is, that's, this is great. Thank you. So yes, yeah, so, so Dr. Viviana, please continue. <laughs> continue what you were saying. I, I think Dr. Omari also is, this is what academic medicine looks like now, and this is what academic medicine can look like. It's also part of the conversation, right? The more diversity we bring into our departments, the more our departments, our divisions, our clinics look like the people we serve, the better mm -hmm. the care we can provide. And, and so making sure that this is, that we together with everybody else in our department is really committed to doing so, right? It's, it's really, really key. You know, I, I often talk with the students and with the residents, how happy patients are when they're able to see somebody that looks like you that looks like them, that, that, that can understand what the, where they are coming from. But at the same time, our, our non-underrepresented un, minority faculty, they also have a very important role on recognizing those things, on, yes. on also being the best allies. You know, the, this term of HEM, historically excluded in medicine, I heard it from Sarah Nossal from the New York Academy. Right. Mm -hmm. And Sarah oh, okay. is one of our best allies. You know, mm -hmm. Sarah is one is a person where, you know, I was talking about URMs and she's like, you're going to have you thought about the term AGM. I'm like, oh, my God, it is not because our black and Latino students in um, Native Americans haven't applied to medical school. Sure. They just didn't get picked. Right. It's not because they didn't want to. Often it's because they didn't get picked. Mm -hmm. Right. And they didn't be, get picked early on when they were going into college, right? And so so our heavy reliance on certain typical mechanisms into getting into certain places, this idea of a pipeline needs to be changed into a a, a watershed, right? Like like mm -hmm. we have to go looking outside of the pipe because people are not making into that that main pipe. They are they, they, we have to think about watershed and tributary rivers and make you know, a, a big pipeline comes from, you know, if you think about rivers, right, there's a main river and then there's small little tributaries that right. come into it. We need to go looking for our students in those small tributary uh, rivers that, that come so that they can flow into our rivers of education. So, so all of us have a responsibility, whether whatever our roles, whatever our ethnicity or race, we all have a responsibility to look for those students. One amazing program that a student at Duke created was a salute program where the Latinos students in high school were invited to this special program that mimic parts of medical school, right? Uh -huh. and, and from them, and the conversations were anything where 
from, you know, this is how you navigate, this is how you apply to college, this is how you uh, work on your CV, this is what, and, but it, was, it also included how do you live through your parents' deportation, mm. right? Like, ah. le, like okay. and this, this was especially geared to Latino and Latina, Latinx students. Mm -hmm. What this amazing student um, did was to actually create a program that was so uh, it wrapped around the life, the lived experience of students to, to kind of go through all of those things. And even answering questions to the parents who were worried, oh, my God, medicine, this is going to take you eight years. Right. And you could be, you know, how do you navigate that space with, with parents that may be concerned that you, this is not for you, you're not going to be able, because often our communities have heard this for so long, they may think that there's students their son or daughter's dream yes. is an impossible dream it's impossible. Right? right right so how how do we talk to the to the parents how, how do we coach these kids to talk to the parents about the type of careers that we are helping them envision right right and and for academia it's the same i i think we often also run into this issue of the cost right a lot of yes. the students were not given guidance on how to access loans or financial right. resources. And so I have had some of my family medicine residents who were outstanding and could be outstanding academicians have huge debt. You know, yes. our our residents in family medicine actually skewed the curve of the debt for yes. all of the, the residents at Duke, for example. And they were coming in with $250,000 to $400,000 of debt that was going to accrue severe interest. So a lot of them were not going to academic careers. They were looking for loan repayment programs. Yes. And right. most yes. academic medical centers are not offering loan repayment programs. That is, that is true. That is very true. That is a big barrier. So, so, they, so how, how, how did you overcome that or are you trying to overcome that? So we, we're looking into the possibility of creating different types of mechanisms to actually think about the investment, this is the return for investment. You know, we're, we're investing in amazing faculty. Can we help them pay those loans so that we can actually have them stay with us at our university? A lot of the loan repayment programs say, if you, you do this, then you have to work here for five years. Well, can we do that? And then once you're there for five years, you may realize that you really love this academic career. There's ways to balance this and, and to try to find a, a way of helping them or sometimes it's doing a financial planning, right? Like how can you, this is what you owe, how can you do this? Helping, how do you refinance so you don't have such high interest loans? Are there other ways? Can our institution help to find ways of paying or actually pay their, their debts? You know, it depends on how much we want to invest, but it is also clear that often private practice is gonna pay a lot more than academic than an academic job. Oh yeah! Oh yes, definitely. So um, that that all everything you've mentioned is really really um important and and those are you know food for thought for all of us as we're trying to help those who are interested in academic medicine because we know sometimes they choose clinical because they will be able to pay off their debts usually better faster and there's always there's usually loan repayment uh, attached to that so advocating for that. Um, in terms of trying to expose them to what academic medicine would be like. Um, I know that there are certain selectives that students could tr take if, if their schools don't offer it, they can ask 
their uh, their faculty or their deans or you know if they could have a selective in academic medicine and then for residents even using their elective time if they don't have an official rotation to have elective time and say i'd like to create have an elective in academic medicine so that they could follow one of us one of a faculty or or a, a program director or, or or anyone who does teaching to just have that experience have you seen that is there do you have any other advice on that I think there are ways to do in this. We have had some rotations where um, they do population health. And so they are looking at what kind of research you can do from a population health perspective. We have opportunities for our students to teach a, and, and, and creating. Uh, we have them all do a quality improvement project a, and do a teaching session on the quality improvement project that I did in the clinic. Actually, making sure that not, it's not just a, any little project, but it is a, a project that will be heard and listened by the whole practice so that you are able to see that, wow, what, what I'm doing actually will be making a difference. And think about how could you augment this throughout the years in, in making that happen as an academician. And then also, you know, teaching, you know, involving the students of the family medicine interest group in teaching younger students or teaching community or college students mm -hmm. certain skills and things like that, right? Like showing them ways. So, so there's ways. I don't know that I had, we have developed an actual academic medicine rotation, but I love the idea, Tochi. I think that's yeah. just, just <laughs> wonderful. But mm -hmm. there are ways of showing those elements. Definitely. Definitely. Is there any other, you know, if you have, do you have any other, other comments that you have in terms of what advice we would, we should give the students and the residents who are out there listening to this podcast um, in terms of first steps to uh, get started in their academic medicine careers, or for those who are like us who are out there listening of ways we can support um, them to overcome the barriers. Uh, do if you had any um, last minute thoughts on that. So number one, see the students, think of their abilities mentor them, show them the path. What is it that an academic career can entail? How amazing an academic career in family medicine can be adjusting to your interests and the interests and needs of the community. Number two, creating the safe spaces for people to ask the questions and to be able to participate, creating an environment that is not just you, the underrepresented minority uh, in medicine faculty, but everybody in the department really eager to recruit into that program. And three, showing people the path. You know, if this is your loan amount, this, if this is how much you owe for medical school, how can you do this in a way that we will be savvy enough so that you are able to, to envision yourself as an academician, as somebody who can actually balance the, their lifestyle between all these different interests that they may have and, and just being there for them. But I think mentorship is probably the, the big words that I, I think are the most important and being inclusive in this um, work. It's amazing. Yes. It's, totally it's agree. The mentorship, like as you're talking, everything that you say kind of points to that. So well said. Totally agree. Yes, with you. Absolutely. So I think for those listening out there, if you are the student or resident, find that mentee. And again, the mentee may or may not be um, uh, a historically excluded in medicine person, faculty right, member. Right, right. Um, you may, it may be someone who's an ally 
Uh, and, uh, you know, but find that person. I, I say the person who pushed me into academic medicine was uh, was my program director and, nice. uh, you know, a white male. And he found he saw something in me and he just kept pu- pulling me, pulling me, <laughs> kicking yeah. and screaming into academic medicine. So nice. Uh, so, so, well, we're yeah. thankful that he did. Yeah. So, so, uh, so yeah. So, yeah, as yourself, as a mentee, if you just find that person that you feel safe with and comfortable with to 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 help you with that. And then um, for those of us out there to do, do that extra, take that extra step to pull those that we see something in or ask, like Dr. Viviana mentioned, um, if we see that there's some potential there that we should uh, bring them in. So we want to say thank you to Dr. Viviana Martinez Bianchi for joining us today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was such a pleasure to have this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Omari. Thank you, Tochi. And thank you, Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. And for including the historically excluded from medicine students. We need to be inclusive to create a new uh, force that is representative of our community. You've been listening to the URM Journey to Academic Medicine podcast, brought to you by the Society of Teachers of Family Medicine. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most other podcast providers, as well as on our website at stfm.org slash urmjam. Follow us on Twitter at stfm underscore fm. 